Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. H. James Wilson, he's allowing me to call him Jim, is the Managing Director of IT and Business Research with Accenture, and he's co-author of a very interesting new book entitled Human Plus Machine, Reimagining Work in the Age of AI. Jim, welcome to AMA Edgewise. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Dave. This stuff is so fascinating to me. Anyone who knows me knows I'm like, uh uh-oh, nerd, nerd alert. And so I find books like this incredibly interesting. Where are we now, today, on this sort of continuum of human plus machine? Where are we? Well, it's a great question. You know, in terms of a continuum of adoption, I'd say we're really in the early days of human and machine collaboration. About 80% of large enterprises today are experimenting with AI, but they really tend to focus on the automation side of the equation rather than the human and machine collaboration. Now, no doubt, applying automation to an old process will get you kind of an initial lift in performance, say, to speed or another KPI. But it won't really get you that sustainable or exponential growth. I think now the interesting news is that about 9% of enterprises today that are adopting AI are very much focused on human-machine collaboration. And we find again and again in our research and work that teams of humans and machines really outperform pure automation. So, you know, if you look at a diagnostic process in the healthcare industry, a team of radiologists and pathologists recently created an AI-based technique, along with a vendor, to identify breast cancer cells with greater precision And the doctors outperformed the machines with about 96% accuracy versus the 92% with the machines in their early tests. But I think the biggest surprise came when humans and machines combined forces. And together, human and machine accurately identified 99.5% of cancerous biopsies in that health system. You know, if you kind of do the math with about 1.7 million new cases of breast cancer diagnosed globally each year, this could translate to something like, you know, 130,000 more women receiving accurate diagnoses than if we relied on just humans or just machines. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing that we're seeing here, back to your initial question, is that the greater the degree of organizational investment and focus on human and machine collaboration, the better the outcome. And, you know, enterprises that design and implement AI to really maximize those human-machine connections outperform those that focus on just developing people or just implementing automation. Mm -hmm. Uh, often by 6x or more mm-hmm. uh, in areas like decision-making, mm-hmm. as was the case with that healthcare example. You know, that investment often is senior leadership attention 
in the AI initiative, it's investment in reskilling in some cases. You've got to train those doctors and lab techs and so forth. Mm-hmm. A real a deep focus on responsible and safe implementation of AI. Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing is really a group of leading companies that are really ushering in a new era of what we call business transformation. Mm-hmm. And it's one that's focused on human and machine collaboration. So really the last era, the kind of the PC era, the era of re-engineering and knowledge management and virtual collaboration was still really the automation era. And we really see that there's this new era that's emerging around human machine collaboration in terms of management history. So we really think it's a significant moment, but Dave, back to your initial question, you know, it's still early days. Mm-hmm. I'm a Netflix user, as probably most of our audience members are, and I think there's one whole sub-channel on machines run amok or AIs out to kill me. Why is there so much fear? Why do you think people are so fearful of this stuff? Well, I, you know, just on that point about Netflix, I, I've been watching Black Mirror, and also there's a Philip K. Dick, a science fiction writer series yeah. Um, yeah. on called Electric Dreams on Amazon Prime. So yeah. it's really in the air these days. I think there are certainly three reasons for that. The way the AI story is playing out is very binary. There's a human side and there's a robot side. And the current story looks a bit like, you know, like a Netflix sci-fi movie or a video game. You know, the robots are kind of crossing over to the human side and they're taking away Mm -hmm. our jobs. Mm -hmm. That storyline's more about competition than cooperation between humans and machines. I think that's a big part of it. That gets to kind of our psyche. Mm -hmm. On top of that, you know, if you look at the media and the reportage coming in, particularly from economists, I think the economic reports can amplify this binary storyline, and they even offer kind of video game type scores in some cases. One recent report that I looked at argue that each new robot that enters into a commuter zone, which is kind of the way they define a a work area, can displace 6.1 workers. And of course, what that economic report doesn't say is whether and how those jobs are changing in that commuter zone and whether new jobs working with those robots are being formed and what types of new managerial innovation is happening that's creating entirely new jobs. And I think that's because econometrics, economic research, doesn't really give you that observational ethnographic view of what's really going on behind the scenes in organizational practice. You almost have to kind of go in and talk to companies about what AI looks like on the ground level. And in general, the economic reports that are amplified in the media don't get to that. And I think third, and this for maybe the most important point for us is that, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, about how to implement AI. You know, how do you manage in the age of AI? You know, how do we select a education or a career path in this age of AI that we see coming? What traditional skills do we need in terms of the humanities or which MBA skill sets are most important. You know, should MBA students or undergrad business students 
study accounting still or finance or operations anymore because supposedly these smart machines are becoming really good accountants. And unfortunately, entering the age of AI can feel a bit like managers and workers are being parachuted into a dark forest and they don't really have a trail map or a guidebook for that journey and they don't have a flashlight and they don't know what skills to develop to survive and thrive in that forest. So, you know, managers are really missing a lot of practical guidance. And that was one reason why we actually ended up writing the book. We really felt there needed to be some practical managerial guidance around what to do and kind of help people out of that dark forest, if you will. Mm -hmm. It probably doesn't help much that there are recognized thought leaders in industry and business today, people who are quite large figureheads in social media and in the press, the media, whatever they attract attention, who have said some pretty negative or highly critical stuff, too, that probably isn't helping much either. Yeah, I, I think what they're doing is very important in terms of amping up the urgency, particularly that it's early days. And so we need to get responsible practices into the AI systems now before it's too late. Mm -hmm. So I actually, I have no issues with some of the, the big time academics or entrepreneurs okay. uh, that are talking about this because really the first job of a business leader in the age of AI is to think with a responsible hat on to make sure that the algorithms that you put into play, sometimes globally, sure. are fair, safe, transparent, and so forth, unbiased. So I have no issues with that. In the book, you and your co-author, Paul Doherty, you, you float this concept that you call the missing middle. Okay. what what right. What is the missing middle? So the missing middle is really this wide, diverse, and job-rich area that's in between those two sides that I just talked about. So we have the human side, say, on the, on the left, and the machine side on the right, but there's this big middle ground of collaboration. So the missing middle is where the new jobs and roles that focus on human-machine collaboration are emerging. So what we see in the missing middle is kind of two things. One is that people improve the machines, kind of the point that we were just talking about, about making sure that machines are fair, safe, and accountable, but also machines improve people. And that's how we get those exponential outcomes. And these ways that humans and machines collaborate to really improve each other happen in six practical and fundamental ways. So companies can really design six roles to fill the missing middle in the enterprise. The first three roles that we talk about in the book are called trainers, explainers, and sustainers. And these are real, again, real core roles. And these roles and jobs are about really building and responsibly managing your AI systems. And the other three roles are really about augmenting your workers through artificial intelligence. And we call these roles amplifiers, interactors, and embodiers. And we get into a number of examples across each one. But what we see invariably in our research and our work is 
that these are the six roles. They're kind of the mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive set of AI roles that an enterprise needs if they want to effectively implement AI. Thanks so much. In the book, you provide some powerful examples of humans and machines teaming up to deliver world-class, let's say, production quality, like auto assembly and stuff like that, stuff that it, it doesn't take a major leap to see how a, a human and a, and a machine or a robot could work together to build awesome, high-quality automobiles. Can you tell us maybe a story about how uh, machines or AI are, are assisting humans with more things that Peter Drucker would call knowledge worker types of processes like analysis, accounting, you know, stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. So one area of knowledge work that we discuss in the book is really around the analysis and detection and prediction of financial fraud. And in detecting fraud, companies usually only have seconds, you know, I'm sure you've been through this, you know, where you get a fraud alert, but usually only have a couple seconds to determine if a particular transaction should be approved or denied. And if they approve a fraudulent transaction, then the bank's going to have to eat the loss. But if they deny a legitimate transaction, then not only do they lose that fee from that purchase, but they might also get the customer upset who might then kind of churn to another credit card company or bank. So in other words, the problem is not only increase the detection of the actual fraud, but also to minimize the number of false positives that they get. And to combat fraud, one bank that we looked at has developed a solution that really focused on human and machine collaboration Mm -hmm. for these fraud investigators, fraud analysts. And on the machine side, the AI monitors and scores millions of transactions every day, often in real time, which is really important. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that fight against financial fraud often looks a bit like an arms race because, you know, better detection leads to more devious criminals, which then leads to better detection. So it's this constant arms race. Mm -hmm. So the algorithms and scoring models that are used to combat that fraud often have a really short shelf life and require continual, I guess you'd use the word refreshing and updating from human analysts. And moreover, different models are needed for different countries and different regions. And again, that's where those fraud analysts come into play. And they they look at regional patterns detected by the machines and then retrain the data models to be even smarter. So here, I think it's an example of humans and machines working in the missing metal, and these these fraud analysts help ensure that the software stays continuously up to date, and the reduction in the number of false positives at this particular bank has happened significantly, and on top of that, the investigators now are able to concentrate more on the suspicious transactions that are being flagged. So they're able to constantly innovate a bit more, but it's real back and forth for these fraud investigators. And we've seen this, you know, in a number of different knowledge work areas, back office, middle office, front office, and so forth. Mm -hmm. What's the role of AI in research and development and, and ongoing business innovation? Yeah, it's a really good question. And we 
have a number of examples of this in the book, you know, Tesla and several bioscience examples. I think an interesting example in R&D at a bioresearch company that we saw, this particular company uses an AI tool that goes by the acronym, I think it's REFS, R-E-F-S, which stands for Reverse Engineering and Forward Simulation. So the AI can analyze old science experiments and old data and, and new data and then simulate new ideas and hypotheses. So the tool really augments the research scientists by surfacing unusual hypotheses that the scientists hadn't noticed the first time around. For instance, in one case study that we saw at this company, they were able to make some breakthroughs and adverse drug reactions and how to reduce them. So in one simulation, I think they used about 200,000 patient files and fed it into the tool, this REFS AI tool, and it generated something like 45 quadrillion hypotheses. And in three months, it discovered an adverse interaction that would have taken the scientists about two years to discover without AI. So that's an 8x speed improvement through human and machine collaboration. I think interestingly, the AI also found different things than the scientists kind of getting to that story about the complementary nature of humans and machines. The AI also was able to kind of look through unstructured data and informal observations from patients that were captured in medical records that they were using as their data source. So things that a patient might say, like, you know, I think my Advil is making my arthritis medication not work. So you get that type of anecdote might be picked up in a medical record, but the doctor might not take it seriously. And so the research didn't take it seriously. But the machine actually found, looking at that kind of informal information, the machine was able to find causal connections around these adverse drug interactions that were kind of hidden in plain sight, but had been ignored. So the machine actually surfaced totally new types of potential medical knowledge grounded in patient experience and patient opinion rather than just doctor's opinions. Mm -hmm. So it was this kind of this human machine collaboration mm -hmm. that allowed the company to make decisions in their pipeline that weren't possible before. And also, I think an interesting thing here, and it gets back to that missing middle idea, the scientists that are using this tool, their job description changes. A scientist is now an amplified scientist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's now spending less time doing guesswork and routine lab work, and she's able to spend much more time assessing machine-generated insight and knowledge from those experiments. Mm -hmm. So she's, again, she's a machine-amplified scientist, which I think is a pretty cool story just you know and that's a big part of it it's one thing that we're seeing is it's not just new job creation it's also new types of jobs are being formed within the existing workforce where sure. you know your old job is becoming a new amplified or augmented type of job where your activities and your workflow is a bit different or dramatically different depending on the enterprise 
We here at the AMA pride ourselves on our noble cause, which I would say is being that little warm campfire that a a new manager or a middle manager can sort of warm themselves around and, you know, prepare themselves for the role of being a manager or helping an aspiring leader down the path to success. What short-term steps can a new manager or an aspiring leader take to better prepare themselves for this new world that you're talking about? Well, there's something that you can do right now, and we talk about this quite a bit across the book, and that is really having the mindset to reimagine the business. So don't, when you hear AI, don't focus on process automation. Focus on process reimagination. In the book, one of the case studies that we talk about is Capital One, which is a company that is really relentlessly reimagining the business around AI and around human-machine collaboration. It was one of the first companies to launch a capability on Amazon's Alexa, which allowed customers to pay their checking balances online or pay bills or perform other transactions on that platform. And recently, they put out a new chatbot that's kind of their in-house chatbot named Eno. They've also set up a machine learning center of excellence to help bring AI initiatives into the organization. So they're constantly experimenting. When you start an AI initiative, the place to start, as I said, is the imagination, but then move to a small scale experiment. You don't have to dramatically change the enterprise in three weeks or three months. You have to start with an experiment. When we look at the companies that have made the most headway, they take a very experimental, analytical view toward their AI initiatives. They seed, select, and amplify based around that. They don't go for broke. So I think small steps, beginning with reimagining, is the way to go. We've been speaking to Jim Wilson, who, along with Paul Doherty, has authored this great new book, Human Plus Machine, Reimagining Work in the Age of AI. Jim, thanks so much for your time. Dave, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Join the American Management Association group on LinkedIn to share insights with thousands of your management peers and to discuss practices in the areas of organizational management and leadership. To find us, simply search for the group American Management Association from your LinkedIn account. feedback very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org.